You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Deanna Lee. And I'm Emily Ashenfelter. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's October 6th. Russia's war in Ukraine shows no signs of stopping. Thus far, the conflict has been highly fluid, with repeated stalemates followed by periodic breakthroughs on both sides. But underlying these shifts and changes is a persistent concern, the risk of an even wider, even more horrific war. A recently published RAND report breaks down this risk, analyzing how greater escalation in the conflict, including potential Russian nuclear use, could still occur. Escalation could happen deliberately. For example, if Russia decided to carry out a limited attack against NATO in Europe, or use nuclear weapons inside Ukraine. It could also occur inadvertently. If, for instance, an aggressive Russian maneuver against U.S. surveillance aircraft led to the deaths of U.S. military personnel, or if a Russian strike inside Ukraine killed NATO officials. Assessing the risk of Russian escalation is what the authors call an inexact and messy process, one that should be approached with humility. However, after exploring a range of scenarios, the authors offer some important considerations for Western policymakers. They emphasize that maintaining NATO cohesion is a critical starting point. Agreement among allies about how much risk to take on is key to both Ukraine's long-term success and to deterring potential Russian escalation. The authors also point out that while the West's incremental approach to providing greater support to Ukraine could limit escalation risks, it could also work against Ukraine if Russia fields new forces too quickly and Ukrainian losses increase. This shows the importance of considering trade-offs when it comes to reducing the risk of escalation. Russia's nuclear saber-rattling in Ukraine is often cited as one reason why the U.S. should expand its nuclear capabilities. Of course, Moscow isn't the only threat of this kind. China is growing its nuclear arsenal, and North Korea is rapidly developing sophisticated nuclear warheads and missiles. When looking at these three potential threats, how much nuclear capability is enough for the U.S. to deter its adversaries and reassure its allies? Rand's Edward Geist tackles this question in a new paper. Deterrence is difficult, he writes, because it is about perceptions and resolve rather than just pure numbers. He lays out two key criteria. First, adversary leaders must perceive that the United States has enough nuclear power to deter them, however they define enough. But adversaries must also perceive that decision-makers in Washington believe that the U.S. has enough. That would ensure they don't lose their resolve and falter in the face of provocation or coercion. Fulfilling these conditions, which Geist refers to as a double mirror, might not actually require that many nuclear weapons, even when facing down a nuclear peer. For example, U.S. officials may know enough about how Russian strategists think about their nuclear program to reach a rough estimate of the U.S. forces needed to ensure deterrence. Whatever the ultimate conclusion, the challenge Washington faces is significant. In fact, Geist writes, the emerging strategic environment today poses challenges 
that are in some ways worse than those of the Cold War nuclear arms race. In early August, wildfires swept across the Hawaiian island of Maui, killing at least 97 people and destroying thousands of buildings. The town of Lahaina was the epicenter of the crisis. Early estimates for rebuilding Lahaina are around $5.5 billion. But according to Rand's Aaron Strong, that won't be enough. The math on disaster recovery isn't a simple sum of the losses, he says. Large-scale reconstruction projects fundamentally change local economics, and in ways that drive costs up, not down. The biggest variable is how quickly the construction sector can expand. Based on a RAND analysis of Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria, labor makes up about 38% of the cost of a building. As of June, there were only about 4,500 construction jobs on Maui and 12,000 in all of Hawaii. A billion-dollar-per-year recovery effort would require doubling Maui's construction workforce, and that means hiring workers from elsewhere. Not only will this drive wages up, but builders might also have to provide housing to employees from the other islands or the mainland. The other major factor is building materials, which make up 57% of construction costs. High demand and limited port capacity on islands like Maui can drive up prices and slow delivery. For example, even six years after Hurricane Maria, material prices in Puerto Rico remain about 3% higher compared with the national average. Strong says that traditional estimation methods don't capture these dynamics, but considering these factors is important in order to ensure that Lahaina's recovery effort is sufficiently funded. Could you detect a deepfake? A new RAND study found that many people can't. Our researchers showed participants, which included students, educators, and the general adult public, both authentic and deepfake videos related to climate change. 27 to 50% of people were unable to distinguish authentic videos from deepfakes. Adults and educators, the older individuals in the study, tended to exhibit higher levels of vulnerability to deepfakes compared to students. This suggests that specific educational interventions should be tailored for this population. The study also revealed that people could more accurately identify both deepfake and authentic videos by analyzing the social aspects of a video, including knowledge of the speaker or the credibility of the content, not just the technical aspects of the video, such as video quality. This may be another critical consideration when devising strategies to mitigate the risks of deepfakes. After all, the need for education on deepfake detection is only going to grow, especially as this technology gets better at producing highly realistic content. That's it for today's episode. You can learn more about the topics we discussed in the show notes at rand.org slash podcast. We're off next week, but we'll be back in your feeds on October 20th. Be sure to tune in. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision-making through research and analysis.